It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Scarlett Fu. This podcast has the best and most interesting interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor with Joe Weisenthal, Caroline Hyde, and Romaine Bostic on Bloomberg Television, What'd You Miss? Our aim is to take you beyond the headlines and bring you unique perspective on the week's top stories and those you may just have missed. FedEx was one of many companies to suspend its fiscal year outlook due to the coronavirus outbreak. We spoke to President and COO Raj Subramaniam about how the company is grappling with increased shipping demand and how they're keeping employees who aren't working from home safe. At the very outset, I want to say thank you to our more than 475,000 team members around the world who are on the front lines of this battle against the pandemic. They're going above and beyond the call of duty every single day And I couldn't be more prouder of the efforts that they're making today uh, to really make the world a better place and uh, and the role that we play. Uh, We know that we are one of the unique networks around the world, and we have a role to play, and we are stepping up to the plate. So, you know, as you said, uh, you know, as as people stay home and order more things, uh, that, you know, our home delivery orders are going up. But the most important thing that we are doing is actually delivering medical equipment, pharmaceuticals, uh, all the Mm -hmm. protective gear, so many different things around the world, and uh, working with the government, with the military, and and, uh, our uh, nonprofit partners. So we are doing all this, and we are very proud of it. So let me ask you on that. Are you prioritizing deliveries of medical gear and, and things for the healthcare sector the way that, say, Amazon is prioritizing restocking goods for for that part of the business? Uh, we, you know, we, we are one of the very few people in the world who have the global network to do this. So this is the top priority for us. For example, over the weekend, uh, we worked uh, with HHS uh, to deliver test kits to 50 different retailers in 12 different states. We flew 28 different flight operations over the weekend to get those test kits to labs. This is an ongoing thing. We just, uh, we just handled three military aircraft uh, coming from Europe to uh, deliver swabs and distribute it uh, all over the United States. Again, that's an ongoing thing. So there, it, 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 the number of requests that come in is on an hourly basis, and we are doing everything we can to support the effort and going above and beyond the call of duty here. And just to be clear, Raja, this remain in New York, just to be clear, as far as the measures being taken, uh, just to ensure that, of course, all the employees uh, handling these packages, handling uh, whatever facilities are needed to sort of get these packages to people like me, uh, what exactly is being done? 
Yeah, so, you know, we have, you know, we do, again, uh, we are making sure that we follow all the guidelines from CDC and the World Health Organization to make sure that our frontline employees are safe. Safety does come first at FedEx. Uh, we have suspended signature release so that, you know, the point of interaction between our courier and the customer, that there is no interaction and the package can be handed over. So these steps are ongoing, and we're doing everything possible to make sure uh, to ensure the safety of our front line and our customers. Have you had any labor issues so far, Raj, with regards to maybe some employees not wanting to work or not wanting to be exposed to certain facilities? Has that become an issue for you yet? Do you have enough people to do the job? Uh, we do, and I think, again, our purple promise that we pride ourselves on is alive and well. Uh, our team is going above and beyond the call of duty to deliver in this very critical juncture, and again, the FedEx culture stands out in this regard. And I have to ask, I know that this is something fairly basic, but um, whenever we pick up a package or it get, one gets delivered to our door, we kind of look at it skeptically as we do anything that's outside the home these days. Is it possible, Raj, to disinfect packages or is that not a reality given the high volume that you guys are working under? So we have worked under the WHO guidelines who, who basically have told, told us and told everybody that the, pro, the probability of a transmittal through a virus through such a package is very, very minimal. And, you know, and, but we are taking all precautions, especially on the test kits and so on and so forth. But you know, for regular packages, the, the, the probability or the, uh, the chance of getting a virus through that is very small. And Raj, what kind of timeline is FedEx working under at the moment when you're thinking about how long um, these lockdowns will last, whether it's on the city uh, limit or on the state limit, uh, without, without destroying parts of your business completely? I mean, what are your working assumptions here? Well, it's a very, very difficult to look too much further ahead. We are dealing with it on a daily basis. We are an essential category, so we are delivering uh, to all, all, all places, especially as local regulations allow. Uh, it's very, very difficult to look too far ahead in the future as you know, we, we are providing ex essential services around the world uh, every single hour, every single minute. With the global economy in crisis mode, fiscal stimulus is at the forefront of any debate on business surviving in a coronavirus-stricken world. Nathan Tankis, a research director for the Modern Money Network, told Joe how a Medicare for All policy could serve as an automatic fiscal stabilizer for the U.S. economy. I think what's critical about Medicare for All um, and what really gets under discussed in these policy conversations um, isn't just about the cost of Medicare for All versus the cost of the current system, but how these uh, costs uh, move over the business cycle. So when a recession mm -hmm. happens, our, one of our major forms of healthcare subsidy is uh, providing subsidies to employer-based healthcare, which means when employment collapses, as it is right now, um, government spending uh, perversely falls. And not only does it fall, it falls precisely in the area where we need it most, most healthcare. Um, it also falls because state and local governments pick up too much of the tab of our healthcare spending. So when a recession's happen and uh, tax revenues collapse, they suddenly have this bigger burden. Um, this, of course, is much worse in a pandemic-induced depression because healthcare spending is exactly what we need to increase and increase quickly. And then right at that moment, um, you have in even more of a burden uh, on state and local governments than you uh, normally would um, be uh, because of 
because of the healthcare nature of this. And now we see municipal bond uh, rates rise. And, you know, even though we desperately need this spending, state and local governments feel like they have no choice but to cut back. Um, this is absolutely disastrous, especially in something, a healthcare induced uh, uh, crisis like we're in right now. Um, so um, we, Medicare for all would make that system much more countercyclical, much more responsive, especially uh, during a pandemic, right. and um, adjust uh, adjust the system much faster. And I think you can see that across a range of automatic fiscal stabilizers that we could uh, that we could create, which we don't have right now. Talk to us about that more generally, because I think people intuitively get the idea of counter. Uh, counter-cyclical fiscal policy, that when the economy is in a downturn, something needs to be done to raise it from Washington. What are some other tools that could be automatic so that we're not all just looking to Congress and waiting for them to hammer out a deal and hoping for them, hoping that it will be big enough and timely enough to make a difference? Uh, one is obviously the job guarantee. Uh, uh, the job guarantee gets talked about as this, this social democratic fluffy thing, but um, at its base level, providing everyone with a legally enforceable right to a job means that when unemployment rises, people automatically enter the job guarantee program. Government spending rises just when it needs to, and we don't have a crisis where suddenly, you know, millions of people are out of work, and that's causing collapsing tax revenues across the board, and that's causing mass unemployment and people losing their health care at, at the same time. So right now, though, okay, we don't have these things in place. What would you like to see from the current package that would make you feel that this will be enough to stabilize the economy? Well, what's interesting is that what's being discussed right now is essentially making an emergency patchwork Medicare for all system. Um, what uh, Schumer was quoted as saying, as talking about recently, where they're extending unemployment benefits to such an extent that you would still be on your employer's payroll, still get your full salary, and you would have access to uh, your employer-provided health care is, in fact, disconnecting healthcare, uh, our health care subsidies from uh, from employers, because you know, yes, they're still be technically employed, but effectively, we're providing them health insurance while they are unemployed. And so, this it, what they're doing is patchwork in an emergency sense. Far too late is designing a temporary version of Medicare for all right now, where healthcare is disconnected from you being employed and working. 40 hours or 32 hours a week or whatever else it is. I think that's a start, um, but I think we're going to need much more. And the amount of spending that we're going to need much more um, is just not forthcoming either because uh, our automatic fiscal stabilizers are so weak or um, Congress is having difficulty to do this all in a rush all at once, which is why you need a system right. that can do this automatically. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. From the collegiate to professional level, sports around the world are on hiatus for the time being. And this week, we learned that the Tokyo Olympics will be delayed by a calendar year because of the coronavirus outbreak. 
All of this canceled playing time means a lot of tickets not getting sold and some blockbuster broadcasting contracts going unfulfilled. To get more insight into the bottom line impact of our new world without sports, we spoke to George Pine. He's founder and CEO of Bruin Sports Capital on the impact of a delayed sports season. No question. I mean, the, there's $1.2 billion of advertising against the Olympics uh, that's going to have to be relocated. Uh, you're going to have to backfill that with different programming that just won't be as compelling and also different advertising. Also, the other group that's going to be hit here is the advertisers who built their whole marketing campaigns this summer around the Olympic Games, and there'll be an opening uh, for them to spend those dollars somewhere else. Okay, so the advertisers lose out, and of course NBC and the networks are left scrambling a little bit here. I want to talk a little bit about professional sports overall, because normally you would fill that time with other live sports, but we just don't know when that's going to start. Um, the NBA and the NHL suspended their seasons already. We know that the MLB has pushed back spring training. Who or what will the professional sports leagues take their cue from when it comes time to possibly resuming their season or at least be resuming play, maybe not in front of a live audience? Well, I think they'll take their uh, cue from the healthcare professionals. Uh, the people that are hit the hardest right now are the NBA and the NHL because the playoff time of the year is the most profitable time of the season for them. So it's, it certainly does have an impact on their business especially the NBA, which has already had a tough uh, hit this year in, in China. So China and then the coronavirus definitely impacting the NBA and also the NHL. They depend more on the live gate than perhaps the NBA does. And so the playoffs are a very profitable time of the year. And so they're both, uh, the, the virus is going to have a real impact on both of those. Yeah, George. I mean, obviously, I mean, we talk about this hole here. I'm wondering about the individual players. I believe the last time we had you on, we were talking about uh, the NBA accelerator programs and really some of the side businesses that uh, some players uh, had managed to sort of build out uh, and some of the investments they had managed to build out. What type of cushion do some of these athletes have, uh, at least in the major sports, to sort of ride out what could be maybe a prolonged period uh, without any real playing time? Well, I think the players and the owners, compared to the rest of the U.S. population, are going to do fine. Yes, they're going to take a hit. But the place where it's going to hit, hit the hardest is going to be in the service businesses and the service economies, the people that are selling tickets, the security professionals, the food and beverage, the small restaurant tours in and around the, the stadiums. These people are going to lose revenue, and it's never going to come back. Yes, the players are going to be hit and the owners are going to be hit, but it's going to be a manageable hit. But those people in the service industry, that they're losing money and that money's never going to come back. So I feel my heart goes out to them. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, George. I want to circle back to where we started with Scarlett and the Olympics. Uh, and the idea here is we're still going to have them, obviously, uh, at least that's the plan. It'll just be uh, a year from now uh, and it'll could potentially look a little bit different, a little bit more scaled back. Is it possible, though, that with some of these sports events like the Olympics, that we essentially do manage to pull them off? We do manage to sort of uh, bring back uh, those fans, bring back that revenue uh, that is lost right now, basically, that at some point we get it back? I think the Olympics uh, made the only decision. First, it was the right decision for the athletes and the fans. But the Olympic Games and happening in 10 or 12 months from now, I think will will be great. I think it'll be great for the world. It'll be great for the athletes, and it'll be great for the consumers. And you know, it's, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Japan has invested to date nine billion dollars in infrastructure, and is expected to invest another three billion. 
So $12 billion commitment by uh, Japan is significant. And there's real dislocation. Uh, it'll, be it'll be incremental costs, but not overwhelming costs. So I think the Olympic Games, there's every reason to believe they'll go off and be uh, successful. One other thing I'd point to in the United States that will be interesting, we've seen events like the Masters and the Kentucky Derby say they're going to play in the late summer and early fall. So you'll have a number of events, the Masters, right. Kentucky Derby, PGA of America, perhaps the U.S. Open Golf, pushed back into the football season or somewhere in the summer, which we'll have a, we'll see how that all plays out. While most industries are feeling the pain from the global demand shock of a pandemic, there are sectors getting a boost from the new reality. Bank of America publishing a new report saying that marijuana demand is rising as more people stay at home. Those people will be able to keep buying cannabis at Curaleaf, which received a central service designation to stay open in the key markets where it has medical dispensaries, including New York, New Jersey, and Florida. We spoke about this with Curaleaf's executive chairman, Boris Jordan, and began by asking if he had seen an increase in business in the short term. Yes, we, we had a, a spike in demand uh, starting in the second uh, uh, half of uh, February and into March. We're continuing to see uh, that demand uh, here at the end of March. Uh, obviously, with essential services designations that we received in all of our key markets where we operate, uh, that has helped us uh, uh, and our patients, more importantly, come in and, and take their products. But obviously, with uh, the situation surrounding um, coronavirus, you know, we've had to implement uh, lots of new ways to deliver those products, whether it be mobile app sites or whether it be um, uh, 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 curbside pickup. And, and in our industry, unlike uh, Target that you were talking about urgently uh, earlier, we have to go back to the regulators because it's a very highly regulated industry and get them to approve all of these different things in order to protect both our employees yeah. uh, and yeah. our customers and patients. And I would like to just uh, in advance thank all the governors around the country who have been really responsive to this. Uh, and the fact that cannabis has been made and designated essential status has really mainstreamed this industry, whereas up until recently it wasn't. So, Boris, one thing that we've heard uh, from some companies that have seen a bump in sales because of uh, COVID-19 and the preparations uh, by consumers and businesses for that is that even though they're getting a bump in sales, they have seen some challenges with regards to uh, obviously uh, keeping their their stores and facilities sanitized and uh, really just keeping their employees uh, able to work and work safely. I'm just wondering, have you have you had to deal at all with any store closures or any sort of labor issues uh, that might have affected uh, your ability? Ability to sort of do business as usual? We haven't yet had to uh, have any store closings or any manufacturing facility closes at this point in time. Obviously, we're facing the same uh, challenges every other industry in the U.S. is facing during this uh, uh, difficult period. Uh, but we've had to obviously uh, increase the amount of sanitization of our buildings, and, uh, and we've had to buy masks and gloves uh, for all of our employees. We've had to maintain distance between our customers and our employees. And obviously, uh, we're reducing lines around our stores by implementing curbside pickup and uh, mobile apps so that people can order online. But some of the challenges we have, again, that people like Target and others don't is that we're not allowed to use credit cards. We're fighting for that as well right now with the mm -hmm. federal government to try and get that so that people don't have to exchange cash uh, in the process of making these important acquisitions. You have to understand that our customer base is the most needy in the United States. People that are using cannabis as medicine are not people uh, that can afford to buy the most expensive drugs on the market. And they're using this for sleep aid, for pain aids, uh, uh, for epilepsy and other things. 
and they are at the lower end of the spectrum, the economic spectrum. And so we really need to reach out and help these people. Every morning we have a one hour for senior citizens uh, at all of our stores nationwide right. where they can come in and buy their products before the rush uh, of the other uh, purchasers come in. Yeah, that's something we've certainly seen with other retailers as well, just making the products and the services available to the neediest customers. I'm glad you'd mentioned cash because business as usual for the cannabis industry means not being able to use the banks because you're not federal. Uh, it's not federally legal uh, marijuana, that is. So when you look at cannabis and the fact that it's a cash based business, I'm curious to hear more about what changes you've seen, what modifications you've seen uh, in your ca- in your cash transactions when cash is in such great demand at the moment. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, um, you know, this business has been granted, just shows you the, the, difer- the bifurcation between the federal government and state governments. So this has been granted essential services designation in almost every state where medical cannabis operates, and yet the federal government has yet to pass a banking act to help cannabis companies get away from using cash. I will tell you that we have not seen a disruption in any of the banking services or cash services that we use at this point in time. And, and, and business on that side of it has been reasonably um, transparent and easy to do at the moment. Um, that's not to say that things won't change. Um, as I said, that you know, all of us uh, really can't predict. We just uh, had our earnings announcement yesterday. Uh, we had a record last year. We've guided for the first quarter of this year. But beyond that, we also have canceled any kind of guidance for our company because we really just don't know where the development of this industry and and generally this virus is going, you know, over the next several months. That does it for this episode of What You Missed This Week. If you liked this, please make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to tune in to our Market Close show every weekday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg Television and from 4 to 5 p.m. streaming on Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.